Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Katie Huff. Katie and her business partner, Ben, run MadRev, where they help some of the best newsletters out there to sell more ads more effectively, including a lot of the newsletters that we work with at Sparkloop. When it comes to finding new sponsors, closing deals, or taking the first 15 minutes of a podcast recording to make her headphones work, Katie is the first person that I turn to. Let's jump in at the beginning, Katie. How did you get into newsletter advertising in the first place? So I was working at a company called The Hustle, which um, maybe is known uh, since they had an acquisition last year, but I was working on the sales team at The Hustle for a number of years, and then when HubSpot bought them out, understandably so, HubSpot was like, we're not gonna run ads anymore, we're a massive billion dollar company, we're just gonna plug our own stuff. So in that, Ben and I left The Hustle to make use of all of our marketing contacts and continue helping other newsletter monetize their advertising. Awesome stuff. So I want to kind of, you know, dig into a lot of different stuff around newsletter sponsorships and advertising from how to get started and tips for newsletters that are maybe a little bit further along already. But I thought what might be an interesting place to start is you obviously work very closely with the sponsors, with the brands as well. And I think it's something that's less often discussed is just kind of the perspective that they have on newsletter sponsorships. So is that something that you can give a quick overview on? Like why are brands doing newsletter sponsorships in the first place? Is it something that's happening more often in the moment, less often? What does that look like? Yeah, so brands are definitely making newsletters a bigger slice of their advertising spend. If you think of like advertising as a pie chart, I'm sure out of home dictates a lot of that TV, digital, and I think newsletters are becoming like a more solidified part of that pie graph. It's due in part to the attribution. So with podcasts, podcasts are great because you can get a big reach for a pretty uh, affordable CPM or cost per impression. With newsletters, you can get an affordable cost per impression, but because it's all linked to a trackable UTM or URL, they're able to show almost immediately that the advertisements have paid off. So it's really easy when you're able to show off to your marketing team. If I'm a marketer and I can be in my marketing weekly stand up and say, hey, I spent, you know, X amount of dollars on this and it directly correlated to Y amount of revenue. It it makes me look great. It makes the company look smart and it's easy for me to put more dollars into that. Nice. What do you think is like a, a sign from the outside if there is one that a brand would probably do well with newsletter advertising? What are some of the characteristics of brands and companies and products that tend to, to do well. If I'm a brand, like the biggest signal for me to spend in a newsletter is are, are my competitors running there and seeing success? Or if not, are brands that I share an audience with running there and seeing success? Some people call it like the keeping up with the Joneses effect. 
But if if I'm, you know, looking at a newsletter and I see someone in my space is, is running there pretty regularly, that's a big signal. Like, I should be running there as well. And conversely, if you're like a, you know, a newsletter operator listening to this and you have, you know, positive feedback from one of your existing partners and they're looking to run again, I would definitely go out and hit up all their competitors and, and use that as like low hanging fruit for, for cold outreach and getting new ad dollars in. Awesome. That's interesting. So if we're looking at sort of newsletter sponsorships at a company like The Hustle, for example, where they're already established, they've been running sponsorships for a while. How much of that sponsorship sales is inbound versus outbound? You know, at The Hustle, you would be surprised to learn that a lot of that was outbound. We did, of course, get inbounds, but I think probably our biggest recurring revenue came from advertisers that we had cold outreach to. Namely, we saw them run in the morning brew or a similar newsletter and we're like, okay, they're obviously have budget, they have a need, the timing makes sense, let's go hit them up. Some newsletters, like I would bet Packy McCormick has probably never had to do cold outreach. And if he has, it's very minimal. I don't know how he does it, but he is definitely, from what I can tell, one of the like best in breeds of just being able to sustain his ad model purely on inbounds. Got it. So is that something like when you're looking at what you do at MadRev, are you mainly handling more of like the outbound stuff? Are you handling negotiations and pricing? What's the sort of main value add that you're bringing in for a newsletter operator who isn't doing this themselves? Yeah, so we're handling pretty much the entire pre-sales process. So using our existing relationships to pitch the brand or we can go and do outbound. We can help you figure out like what pricing makes sense. Pitch that out, get the contract signed, get the dates solidified in the ad calendar, and then also provide you feedback on what type of like ad copy and ad format, ad writing style is gonna perform. I would say, especially right now, if we are headed towards a recession, an increasing amount of sponsors and advertisers are gonna need performance marketing versus like brand dollars where they're basically like, you know, here's a big check. We're not really going to follow this performance too broadly. Those are amazing. And I love, love, love brand dollars. But most I'd say nine out of 10, maybe even close to like nine and a half out of 10 are going to be looking for performance. Got it. Okay. I mean, that's our new, our new t-shirt slogan. I love, love, love brand dollars is, is going straight on a t-shirt. Though. Awesome. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Can you, you touched on the, you know, the pre-sales process there. Can you give us a walkthrough of what exactly kind of like a normal sales process might be? So let's say, I don't know, you, you've you done cold outreach and you've, you've got to contact a new brand for, for a newsletter. What does that actually look like? What's involved all the way through from there to actually, I don't know, running the ad and I'm guessing there's follow-up that happens after that. What does that look like? I would say, and I just want to get ahead of this, media kits, I think, are not necessary most of the time. Some brands will get hung up on, well, I can't you know, start sales until I have my media kit polished. Not really. I think the most like brass tacks question we get asked is, if I'm going to give you X amount of dollars, let's say $10,000, approximately how many clicks am I going to get? So if I was going to reach out to a new brand, let's say it's a marketing newsletter that I'm running and I want to reach out to a marketing B2B company to potentially advertise. So the things I would share with them are, you know, 
Obviously, how big is the newsletter open rate? If I have any sponsors that have ran and renewed, I want to share that success because, again, one of the easiest ways to go from like pitch to close is saying a brand similar to you has ran and renewed. And, and again, the thing they'll probably want to know is what is the makeup of the audience on a broad level? So it could be, you know, age, it could be household income. If it's something that's vertical specific, like marketing in this case, they might want to know what percent of the audience are e-com or what percent of the audience is marketing B2B decision makers like Demandgen. So just general stats like that is going to be really helpful to have. You don't have to get super, super granular, like how many of your audience is located in Miami. You can keep it high level. And then I have a kind of a rule of thumb. If I'm working with a newsletter, so if, if you're listening to your newsletter who feels like, well, my audience is on the smaller side, maybe you're 5,000 to 10,000 readers. I would sell your ads in a package just to make your average order value a little higher. So instead of selling one ad for a couple hundred bucks, try to see if you could make a package of like four or five for 2000 or more than that, just so you're not having to do a, a lot more work and you can have a, a bigger check from it. Let's see what else would be helpful here. If you're gonna put together a campaign, I don't think it's smart. Some people will think like, oh, a week buyout makes sense because it's easy. I can sell, you know, one sponsor just running five days a week for a week and I can do that four times a month and that's really easy. It is easy, however, you'll notice a big ad click drop off after like the third or fourth ad. So if you can stand it, spread out your ads like three, four weeks apart from each other to keep click quality high. Cause the higher your click quality in terms of like volume and you know, post, post click metrics, you can charge a higher dollar amount. So those are some things I, I'm kind of thinking about when pitching a new brand. Got it. Okay. How involved are you there then on, or, or should the newsletter operator be in on like the frequency, the quantity, the, even like the, the wording, like, are you going in and saying, look, we'll help you and we'll work with you to put together wording that works and it should be slightly different each time. Or are you just leaving that sort of completely up to the, the brand? If I'm a brand, I would try and give as much freedom to the newsletter publisher to to put it in their wording. You know, most of the people who read your newsletter read it, one, for the information you give, but also in the way you deliver information. It's important to have the ad read similarly to the style of the content. So for The Hustle, for example, we were kind of playful, casual, hopefully entertaining at times, and our ads needed to be the same way because that's what our audience responded to. We can help inform how that tone and help like go to the brands and, and kind of work on behalf of the newsletter publisher to be like, I know you want to have a lot of edits and by all means, if you need to legally have an edit, go for it. But you should give as much creative freedom to the publishers as possible and help, you know, be an ally for them in that respect. What are some strong call to actions that you see inside of ads? Like if, if you were getting paid on like a results basis, what would be some of the things that you'd be trying to get the, the brand to do inside of the newsletter? So, okay, if I'm a, a software brand, a B2B brand, I would really want to see like gated content. It's more top of funnel, but you're going to get a lot higher lead volume. And, you know, if you are an established software company, you probably have marketing nurture funnels set up so you can, you know, take those 
folks down the funnel and, and be able to attribute sales to it. I think a mistake some people make is if they're a B2B company, they're like, we want to have a demo call to action or a free trial. And those occasionally can be successful, but more likely than not, like you're going to see very little leads from that and then deem the campaign unsuccessful versus when you're able to run like uh, a gated asset, you're going to probably have a higher likelihood of renewing. And then on the consumer side, it depends how expensive. So let's say it's a product that's sub like $150. I think it's okay to ask for a sale in the call to action. If it's something more expensive, let's say eight sleep mattress, they sell, I think it's like a thousand dollar, even more mattress. People are pretty unlikely to click an ad and then just impulsively buy something that expensive. So something where you can at least capture their email address to again help nurture them and be in their inbox for when they are ready to make that big purchase so it could be like again a piece of content that's like you know 10 ways to improve your sleep or maybe you sell a lower cost entry item to again get them in your email cycle like a pillowcase that's scientifically proven to help people sleep better those lower barrier entries to those expensive cp CPC products or CPG products can can help again that get just get as many emails as you can in your database. Got it. Okay, that's fascinating. So let's say we've we've run one of these ads. Then how should you sort of approach? I guess after sales process, like we've run the ad or we've run the package of ads, what happens next or what should happen next? Okay, so if I'm a newsletter publisher, the ads ran or the campaigns ran, and I'm I'm trying to get the renewal, the First thing you'll want to do is one, check in to see with your, I I like to send people follow-up emails. So let's say the ad ran on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, I'm emailing them. How did it go? Just to get a gut check on performance, because there could be instances where you're looking on your side and you're like, damn, this click count is a lot lower than we typically get, but maybe the quality was really high. So I would first let the advertiser tell you how it did before you, you know, send a follow-up email saying, sorry, this click amount sucked, or maybe you thought it did really well, the click volume's high, and they didn't have a similar feedback. So let their opinion kind of guide your follow-up email. So let's say they've given you an opinion, they're like, yeah, it did pretty good, we had some sales from it, or some high time on site traffic, whatever they're looking at. Uh, I would then follow up with metrics such as like open rate, sends, number of clicks, and give them some guidance too. Like if, if the number of clicks they got seem higher than what you typically get, but maybe they're saying, oh, we got a lot of clicks, but you know, the quality isn't what we're used to. But you're, you're showing that that's a pretty engaged ad for your newsletter. I would still try and work to get the renewal and go on the angle of like, okay, obviously people are interested in your product. Maybe the landing page you used wasn't compelling to them. Are there other landing pages you've used in other pubs that have done better? I think we should still, you know, try another test campaign to give a different offer out or a different landing page. And then conversely, you know, let's say the click volume was really hot, it was really low, but they're saying the quality of the traffic was high. They're like, yeah, we didn't get that many clicks, but the clicks we got were really compelling. Okay, then that means the ad copy needs to be sharpened up. And I still think that could be worth a renewal. And then lastly, let's say another trick you can use. Let's say the ad didn't do great. They're like, it was okay, but I don't think it makes sense for us to run again. Not the end of the world. I would ask them, fair enough, is there a price tag that would make running this ad again a no-brainer? 
and let's say it's you know 20% less than what you charged great now you have someone for future fire sales let's say in a month from now you had an open ad inventory that you're like I'd rather sell it for something than nothing you can reach out to that contact and say hey I could offer this ad at that price you had mentioned so I think even a, a poor performance can be an opportunity to have a future sale you touched on obviously the whole idea is there is, is to get renewals. How soon after running a campaign would you want to to run a renewal? I mean, almost immediately, because you know the you are gonna be top of their mind as soon mm-hmm. as it runs. So, if the campaign ran again on that Monday morning, I would be emailing them Monday at noon, even afternoon, just to get Got a temperature yeah. on how they perceive performance. And then if they come back and they're like, actually looked really good, I would say, awesome, let's let's chat tomorrow. I'd like put time on their calendar. I think in-person or over Zoom conversations can be a lot more productive than email back and forth and try and get something bigger and longer. So if they did a trial campaign of maybe three cents and they're like, it did pretty well, we're happy with the performance, see if you can get them on a six month renewal. Like go ahead and book it out for six months. You could put a 30 day cancellation clause to give them peace of mind if for some reason the performance is gonna drop. But if they give you a green light, go go for broke in terms of the length of the renewal. So you're seeing that it is it is worth it for a brand to, to run ads continuously in the same newsletter for six months. I mean, maybe not every day, but you know, maybe once a week, for example, for six months. That's something where the, the audience isn't sort of like tapped out after a month or so. I wouldn't run every week, but if you could do once a month, I think that's a healthy cadence in terms of like not burning out the audience, but still getting yourself, you know, recurring revenue from the brand. That's great. And what slots should I be selling in my newsletter? Like, should I have one presenting sponsor? Should I have, I don't know, 15 different ads scattered through the newsletter? Should I be sending one-off emails? What do you tend to see work best? I think for the sake of the newsletter operator's time, one ad is probably best. Having one, like we call it native ad or primary ad. So maybe around 100, 150 words in the top fold or top half of your email. And then if you get to a point where you're selling out every day and you're sold out for like six weeks in advance, think about adding a secondary placement. So something shorter, maybe 10 to 20 words. I think Morning Brew calls it bruise bets. So kind of replicating that model there. And then if if you feel like you have the bandwidth, you could also do, uh, I see these deep dives in increasing popularity where if the brand alignment is really, really uh, high with the newsletter, then they'll do like a special sin where it's all about that brand or the category that they're involved in. Those, I feel like almost always go out on weekends, but it's your newsletter, do it whatever you want. If you wanna do it during the week, by all means. Again, those I, I think should be reserved for brands that you feel really confident that your audience will like. They might kind of get chafed if they're like, oh, this whole email is about brand. I didn't sign up for this. Uh, you want to be more more delicate with those, but those can also be super profitable. And how should I be charging for those relative to, you know, in sort of in normal newsletter sense? I would look at click performance. So like for your first one, you might have to price it low just to get someone in the door to try it. And I would say work with someone that you have a good relationship with that you can have the deal of, okay, I'll give you a good deal on this, but I need you to be like super transparent with me on performance. So 
let's say your normal primary email, you get 100 ad clicks, and then you do the, the deep dive and it gets 500 clicks, then I'd say that's at least worth 5x the price tag. Could be even further than that, again, if the brands that have ran give you feedback like, yeah, we got more clicks, but also the quality of clicks was like astronomically better. Okay, then maybe you can 10x the price tag or however however you see fit. But that's an interesting point. Would you say then that like should the newsletter operator be working with each brand to find uh, a price that works for both of them? Or is this the kind of thing where I should be setting a price for my newsletter and saying, well, look, this is the price, take it or leave it basically? I think that answer depends on like, how bad do you need the money? If your newsletter is like your hobby and you're like, I have really high, not to imply that people don't have integrity with advertisers, but maybe you have really high brand integrity and you're like, I'm not going to waste my time doing this if it's anything less than X amount of dollars, then by all means, like die on that hill. If you, you know, you've quit your job and your newsletter is your main source of income and you really need to have that slot filled, then maybe you're gonna be down to have a little bit more flexibility with the the brand. Or in some cases, you could have a um, kind of a rev share model set up where you talk to the partner and maybe it's, okay, I'll, I'll do this ad and, and you'll give me, you know, $1,000. However, if you get sales from it, I get, you know, 10% of each sale you get from, from this advertisement. That could be a good compromise for the the newsletter operator who's like, I really need this money, but you know, I don't want to do it for pennies on the dollar. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that you see newsletter operators making when when they come to you and they've been trying to do you know find sponsors by themselves? What are some of the sort of the mistakes they've been making? The first things that you would fix? I think not a lot of people make this, but if if you're thinking about pricing your newsletter on like a performance basis, I think that can be more trouble than it's worth. Meaning like a cost per click basis, maybe you charge $5 CPC. That could be a real pain in the ass for you because there'll be click discrepancy. There'll be a lot of infighting. I would say pricing on a flat model, like a flat fee, will just make your life easier. I also think some brands, kind of going back to the media kit comment, they'll be so invested in their story of like how they got started and why they got started and their audience. I think most brands, again, are going to go to like the the bottom dollar need, which is, which is if I give you this amount of money, approximately, I'm not going to hold you to this, but approximately how many clicks am I going to get? They're not probably as invested as in you are in like your story of, of why you started your newsletter. Those are probably two big ones that stand out. Another thing you can do if, if you're unsure on pricing, so if you're a newsletter operator, you have a pretty decent amount of unsold inventory month over month, and you're thinking this dollar amount might feel uncomfortably high to you, I would let the brand know, like, if, if they're kind of having feedback to you, such as, okay, $1,000 to reach 10,000 people seems a bit high. Uh, you can kind of help, you know, massage their fears and let them know. We've seen this work in the past with other sponsors similar to you. However, if you really are like quite worried about this spin, I'm happy to do make goods. If after the send you come back and you tell me this is, you know, didn't hit our marks or we aren't happy or whatever the reason is, I'm happy to offer you make goods. Like having that make good offer in the back pocket can help you relax their fears of like what they might perceive as a higher dollar value email send. 
how do you think people should get started with newsletter sponsorships if they're doing it for the first time? So the first thing, if I was to start a newsletter today, first thing I'm going to do is put my newsletter on Swapstack. That's like the easiest thing you can do. Swapstack is a newsletter uh, marketplace. It's like connecting brands with advertisers. Basically get free leads from it. It's so easy to set up and it, and it makes no sense to not be on there. Like there's no risk. That would be the first thing I do. And the second thing, make a note in your email. You know, if, if you have people reading your email, they probably work at companies that they might even be the marketer at their company or the decision maker. Let them know that you're taking on advertisers. Maybe give them a little bit of information about the newsletter or just simply say, you know, respond to this email and we can talk ads. And then also keep an eye on your competitors or newsletters that are in your space. So if you're a marketing newsletter, I would subscribe to a lot of other marketing newsletters to see who's advertising. And then that would be my my third step is like reaching out to those advertisers saying something like, hey, I saw you ran in Marketing Brew. I also have a newsletter with a lot of marketers in the XYZ space. Are you interested in, in driving even more leads? That is a little bit more manual and time consuming, but worth doing after those those first two activities. And do you think it's worth doing anything like if you've never had a sponsor running the ad before, do you need some kind of social proof or is it fine to just kind of go out there cold? You don't need to sort of like be randomly recommending, I don't know, <laughs> brands in there that haven't sponsored you just to make it look like you have sponsorships or something. Well, I was listening to My First Million the other day and Sam told a story about, this was, I guess, before I started The Hustle. He told a story how he would just randomly put in advertisers just to like kind of have it social proof. So I think he said he ran something like a Ford ad just to make readers think that like, damn, Ford sponsoring this newsletter must be cool. I, I'm not saying I endorse that, but it is one approach. I don't think you have to have sponsors in there. Like if, if your open rates are above 45%, that's an engaged audience. So you don't necessarily have to have like advertiser proof. I think you could still go to brands and say, yeah, we haven't had any advertisers run yet, but this audience is mega engaged. Alternatively, if you haven't ran any paid media and your newsletter is largely been grown through referrals, word of mouth, people who are fans of you. I have found that those audiences are so much more obsessed and engaged with the content versus newsletters. And I think paid growth is really important. I'm not saying that's not, but you'll find like those newsletters that are like, I haven't spent a dollar on paid growth. These are just all people who have come because they got referred or they love my content. Those people click like crazy and engage like crazy and are probably going to leave your advertiser with like a really positive experience. Definitely. Yeah. That's one of the, the few things when it comes to newsletter sponsorships that we can talk about. There are thousands of data points out there now that say if you have a referred subscriber or a, a subscriber who signed up via word of mouth, they are on average about two to five times more likely to click on an ad than someone who came from especially paid social. So Facebook and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really big difference. Yeah, if you don't have a referral to tool like set up in your email, you are missing out on like some of the best engaged subscribers. That That's definitely true. And thanks for saying that. I will release your family. They are free to go now. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, no, but it, that really is that really is true though. Cool. Well, I want to get some thoughts from you before you leave on sort of where you see newsletter sponsorship and stuff going over the next couple of months and year. I mean, I know. There's a lot of talk now about us potentially entering recession and 
maybe that might have an effect on on ad dollars. Do you think there's something that newsletter operators should be doing now to prepare for that? Should they still be bullish on ads? What should they be doing? Oh, I think newsletter ads will probably become, I think brand dollars will be harder to come around, but there will still have to be advertisements that go out. Like ads will happen throughout a recession. I was at the hustle when the pandemic hit and it's just like a different type. Like, yeah, we lost some advertisers, but then you got the advertisers that are like uh, the cleaning supplies or the at-home meal delivery kits. Like it's there's just a shift in who is spending. And so I think that's what's going to happen is just be a shift in like the who's spending. Maybe it won't be like the $5,000 nice to have product. Maybe it'll be like the, the need to have products. But what I think is really helpful of newsletters is the attribution. So, you know, when you spend a couple thousand dollars on a airport ad, for example, an ad that's in the airport, it is nice because you get to your gate and you go, oh, that's my company, but you actually have no idea how much that's influencing sales. So I think dollars there might be reduced and they might be redirected to channels like newsletters where you're able to attribute actual success or metrics to your ad spend. So I, I do think newsletters will be just fine. It'll just be like shifting who you work with a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I really want to know who buys stuff that they see on billboards inside of airports. I think I, I've literally never bought something that was on a, on a billboard in, in an airport. It's, it's every time uh, at an airport, I always look at them and I'm like, who is this advertising to? I do not understand this. Oh, I know. And I'm like, well, I, I think so often, you know what I hear is sometimes like I'll be talking to like an agency and let's say we lost the deal and they didn't want to spit it in the newsletter. And I'm like, why? This is like the perfect fit. And they go, well, the CEO reads the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. So they wanted to see their ad there. Like some ad decisions will be purely based on like ego. And I think that's what like some of the airports are. Like the CEO flies out of that airport and just wants to see their company's name when they walk out of the gate. That makes a lot of sense. And it would be, it would be a nice birthday present to myself. I should, I should think about that. Yeah. Awesome. Before I let you go, is there anything that I should have asked you about newsletter sponsorships? Do you think that I didn't? No, I mean, I think if, if anyone takes like two things away is one, don't stress the media kit. Two, if someone says no, you're that much closer to a yes. That's kind of more of a sales mentality, but don't be stressed out if you pitch it out to nine people and they say no. Eventually someone will say yes, it'll be the perfect fit. Maybe you build a long-term relationship. So really don't ever be discouraged by people saying no, or you're too expensive and just price it cheaper and, and get your yes quicker. Got it, awesome. Well, Katie, where can people find you and MadRev and Connect if they want to find out more about potentially working with you or newsletter sponsorships or any of that stuff? We have a website that I personally made. It is madrev.co, not .com. Someone in Greece owns .com, and I don't know what they're doing with it, but they're not selling it to us. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn, and we have uh, a really uninteresting Twitter account. So I'd say the website's probably your best bet. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing this stuff with me. It's been great. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on soon to talk more about uh, fun sponsorship stuff. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. And again, if you have a newsletter and don't have a referral tool, run, don't walk to Sparkloop. <laughs> thank you very much. They're already free. You don't need to worry about it. It's all good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions 
or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.